Ready to jump in? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, be with us now as we open your word. Speak to us today, because sometimes we find you confusing. So help us, in Jesus' name, amen. So I entitled this today, Jesus, What Are You Doing? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe not consciously, but probably all have asked us, at least to some extent, subconsciously. And just to take you back to where we were, we're in John chapter 6 today, and, and three weeks ago, we looked at the story of when Jesus took the, the, the provision of five loaves of bread and two fish, and, and that turned into an abundant provision for everyone that was there. And this was a very profound event for everyone that was there and participated in this and saw what had happened. And the reality of this was, here is a massive crowd of people that in and of themselves, in one sense, kind of constituted an army, if you will, 5,000 men, all of them who just experienced this most remarkable event, and we come to the end of this story, and, and starting in verse, uh, well, I'm going to read verse 12. I actually gave you starting in verse 14, but I'm going to read verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the barley, five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. All right, let's think about this for a minute. So this great work has been done, and the people have seen this great work, and their response is to say, this has got to be the Messiah. This has got to be the guy. This has got to be the prophet. That's from Moses. That was his term. This has got to be the one. Now, all right, let's step away from that. What was Jesus hoping everyone would understand? They were hoping, he was hoping they would understand he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And now here is everybody saying, you're the one, you're the one, you're the one. Would it not be tempting at that moment to say, you're right, I am the one? Because that's what he wanted everybody to believe, right? But here's the problem. They didn't understand what they meant. Yes, he was the one, but he was not the one the way they thought the one should be. And what's happening here is they're seeing what they want to see. They're believing about Jesus all of their preconceived notions that they've brought to the table. And Jesus knows that that's not who he is. 
And that if he goes along with them, the long-term result of what's happening here will ruin his mission. So at the very moment where he has an army who are all convinced that he is in fact the one sent to become king, at the very moment they rush him to say, you are king, let's march on Jerusalem, what does he do? Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Talk about missing your golden opportunity, right? I mean, Jesus, maybe there's another way we can do this. The disciples are definitely on board. They're like, yeah, let's go. Let's take this army. Let's go to Jerusalem. Set up your kingdom. Do all the things you're supposed to do. But here's Jesus missing the golden opportunity. All right, let's bring it forward to right now. Stop being sure you know what Jesus is doing. See, that's the challenge in this story, isn't it? They all knew the Messiah was supposed to appear. He would raise up an army. He would march on Jerusalem. He would sit on the throne of David. He would command the nations. He would break them with a rod of iron. And Israel would become the great land. Blessing would go to all the earth. It's a beautiful scenario, isn't it? Have you ever conducted, ever put together beautiful scenarios in your own mind of what Jesus should do and how he should go about it? And then when he doesn't do it that way, when he misses the golden opportunity, it's discouraging, isn't it? It's disappointing. So the first thing I want to say that comes from this is stop being sure you know what Jesus is doing. And let Jesus win the battle the way he intends to win the battle. Don't be so sure there's only one way for Jesus to win. They all thought the way to win was make an army, go take over the city. Because that's what rulers do, right? But Jesus wasn't like the other rulers. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is different than this. The way I will win is different than this. My coronation will not be the day I sit on the throne and a, mo- a massive army gathered around me and puts a crown on my head. My coronation will be the day i on the cross and soldiers put a crown of thorns on my head. Jesus said, you don't know what a coronation looks like for the kingdom I'm building. Let Jesus win the way he intends to win in your life. You ever feel like Jesus missed some golden opportunities in your life? Maybe he's trying to win a different way. Let Jesus win the way he intends to win in the world. Do you ever wonder why he doesn't just step in? ever cause doubt in you? Let Jesus win the way he intends to win in the Boulder Adventist Church. What have you dreamed about this place? What have you thought about this place? What are the times when you thought, Jesus, this was a golden opportunity, but it didn't happen? We got to stop being sure we know what Jesus is doing. But now I want to 
go to, to Jesus' experience here for just a second because this is not the first time that Jesus has been offered a shortcut to completing his mission. Do you remember this? If we go over to uh, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, you remember this story? Again, the, de- the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. And not every so-called opportunity should be seized. Because shortcuts rarely are shortcuts in the long run, right? Have you experienced that in your life? You cut a corner... And in the long run, it takes longer. There was only one way for Jesus to accomplish his mission, and it wasn't to make a deal with the devil. It wasn't to agree to be the military king. So Jesus said no. No, you don't understand. So I want you all to go away and I'm going to go off by myself. Back to John 6, verse 16. When evening came, His disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. So now, one of the things that that sometimes as you're reading the story, there's certain assumptions we make about Jesus and the disciples and how things went. And, And there's some details in this story that are a little hard to understand exactly how they came about. But But on the one hand, somehow Jesus was able to send 5,000 plus people away with a command that they go. Somehow he was able to go off by himself. And now the disciples themselves are headed for Capernaum. I would would assume from this that Jesus told them, I'll meet you there or something like that. Because I don't know for sure why else they would have gotten in the boat and headed on their way. But they wait until evening... They get on the boat and they set out for Capernaum. Verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, this is an interesting version of this story that potentially overlaps other stories of Jesus with the disciples on the rough waters. And it's a little hard to know for sure from the different details we get in different stories exactly which incident was which incident. But nonetheless, this is a very basic description. They got in the boat, there was a storm, Jesus was walking on the water. 
They were afraid at first. He said, don't be afraid, it's me. They took him in the boat. They suddenly arrive where they're going. It doesn't specifically mention that the sea was calm, but that's something that shows up in a lot of other versions of these similar stories. But in this account from John, there's limited detail as to why the disciples are in the boat alone and why Jesus was still on the shore and what the plan was. Now, I had to borrow uh, Jay's desire of ages because I haven't unpacked mine yet. It's somewhere in there. And, uh, and uh, there is an interesting, uh, an interesting ordering of events that Ellen White talks about in, uh, related to this story and to this time. And, and it is her suggestion in Desire of Ages that the order and the course of these events is not a coincidence. And that, in fact, the disciples were amongst the group that very much wanted to see Jesus made king by force. And that they were trying to accomplish God's purpose their way. So I, wanted, I just want to read you a little piece here. It says, the disciples had not put off immediately from the land as Jesus directed them. They waited for a time, hoping that he would come to them. But as they saw the darkness was fast gathering, they entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. They had left Jesus with dissatisfied hearts, more impatient with him than ever before since acknowledging him as their Lord. I just want to stop there for a second. Because I think, I think this is dead on. And I think it's, it's giving us an insight into the mind of the disciples that we might not always allow ourselves to reflect on that it, in fact, is very similar to ourselves. That, yes, they saw what Jesus was doing. Yes, they acknowledged him as Lord. But with all of that came a series of expectations of what they thought Jesus was supposed to be doing. And when he wouldn't do it, they didn't just go along without an emotional response. You know, sometimes we attribute that when we read the Bible. We don't think about how they felt. We think we're the only ones that feel these ways. But no, I think they did too. And, and that comes out in this, this idea that they were a little dissatisfied with Jesus' choices right now. They're like, Lord, we had them all. Literally eating out of the palm of your hand. I mean, totally, right? They had left Jesus with dissatisfied hearts, more impatient with him than ever before since acknowledging him as their Lord. Have you ever left Jesus with an impatient heart? Frustrated that he's not doing what he should obviously be doing? They murmured. Because they had not been permitted to proclaim him king. They blamed themselves for yielding so readily to his command. They reasoned that if they had been more persistent, they might have accomplished their purpose. Isn't that always what we do? We turn God's purpose into our purpose. And then we get mad at him when he doesn't do it. Unbelief was taking possession of their minds and hearts. Love of honor had blinded them. They knew that Jesus was hated by the Pharisees, and they were eager to see him exalted as they thought he should be. 
to be united with a teacher who could work mighty miracles and yet be reviled as deceivers was a trial they could ill endure. All right, let's, let's pause on that one for a second. Here we are in a town that as a whole, I mean, let's not make overgeneralizations, but as a whole is not nationally famous for being open to Christianity. Now, wouldn't it be awesome, here's our minds, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if the Lord appeared on the hill in some sort of flaming, glorious presence and said, the people that attend church here are my special people and I love them dearly. And if you're wise, you will come and join them or something like that. I mean, that, how hard would that be, right? And then when he doesn't do that, and instead it's really hard, and we have a hard time connecting with our friends and neighbors, and we don't really know how to do it, it seems like, isn't there a better way, Lord? I mean, here you are, this worker of all these great things, and yet we, your followers, run the risk, if we're actually open about our faith, of being reviled in the place you've placed us. Is that how it should be? Were they always to be accounted followers of a false prophet? Would Christ never assert his authority as king? Why did he, why did he who possessed such power reveal himself? Oh, sorry, why did not he who possessed such power reveal himself in his true character and make their way less painful? Why had he not saved John the Baptist from a violent death? Thus the disciples reasoned until they brought upon themselves great spiritual darkness. They questioned, could Jesus be an imposter as the Pharisees asserted? Do you see the danger that happens when we decide what God is supposed to do, how Jesus is supposed to act, and then when he doesn't do what we think he should do, it starts this cycle of negative thinking that ultimately leads us to question faith. And it's not that Jesus didn't do what he said he would do. It's that Jesus didn't do what we thought he should do. Yet the result is the same. We wonder. The disciples had that day witnessed the wonderful works of Christ. It had seemed that heaven had come down to the earth. The memory of that precious, glorious day should have filled them with faith and hope. Have you had events in your life where the, where the revelation and the reality of God was clear and you saw him do miraculous things and you experienced those things and on that day you thought, yes, I'm a believer, but then by sundown, because something didn't go the way you expected, you were completely discouraged and broken? This is what happens to us. Had they, out of the abundance of their hearts, been conversing together in regard to these things, the works of faithfulness that God had done, the amazing things. Nope, oh, lost my place. There we go. Conversing together in regard to these things, they would not have entered into temptation. But their disappointment had absorbed their thoughts the words of Christ, gather up the fragments that nothing be lost, were unheeded. Those were hours of large blessing to the disciples that, that they had forgotten it all. 
They were in the midst of troubled waters. Their thoughts were stormy and unreasonable. And the Lord gave them something else to afflict their souls and occupy their minds. This is what happens to us when we start talking doubt instead of talking faith. So we become troubled. Inside we become like a troubled sea. And isn't it interesting? The Lord gave them something else to afflict their souls and occupy their minds. God often does this when men create burdens and troubles for themselves. The disciples had no need to make trouble. Already danger was fast approaching. A violent tempest had been stealing upon them and they were unprepared for it. Those are fascinating words, aren't they? Suggesting that if we choose to allow ourselves to live in cycles of doubt, cycles of questioning, cycles of misunderstanding, when God is not doing what we think he ought to do, rather than living in in cycles of reflecting on the works of God and the good things that he has done, that in fact, the suggestion here is that we no longer vex ourselves, an external vexation will come upon us so that we can break out of this negative cycle. So how's your faith this morning? Do you ever ask the question, Jesus, what are you doing? Does it seem to you that Jesus keeps missing golden opportunities? Has this ever led you to doubt sometimes and even wonder if in fact Jesus is who he said he is? Jesus, what are you doing? Have you ever been in the storm? Are you in a storm right now? Have you ever wondered why Jesus allows storms when he has the power to calm them? I've wondered that. Are you so sure you know what Jesus will and won't do? that you can always identify where the storms are coming from? These are difficult questions and questions we have to live with day by day as we walk through this life with its moments of elation and times of deep disappointment, with its, with its great deliverances and its horrible hurts. The answer to all this lies not in figuring out what Jesus should and will do. I think we spend way too much energy on that. I know I do. Now, we know ultimately what Jesus is going to accomplish. He's going to repair the breach. And at the cross, he did this. He repaired the breach between us and God. And then he's going to establish in fullness... The kingdom as he intended it at the beginning. We know this big picture. But we live in the process. And it's very easy in the process to think, Jesus, you should do this next, and you should do that next, and you should do that next. And when it doesn't happen, 
And we become discouraged. So the answer to all of this, this turmoil in our hearts is, is not in figuring out what Jesus should and will do. This road leads to a chronic condition of serial crises of faith. Crisis of faith, crisis of faith, crisis of faith. Again, 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 again. Because it's just not going the way you expect it. And this happens because we will never figure it out. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. But there is an answer. And the answer lies in each of us acknowledging who Jesus is and trusting him. Which, really, as we've said from the beginning, is the whole point of the book of John, right? John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Not by figuring out. By believing, you have life in his name. We have no option here. We've got to trust him. If Jesus turns the crowd that wants to make him king away, we've got to believe that was the right move. If Jesus chooses to not exalt us, but instead we go through a difficult time, we've got to believe that that builds the kingdom more than if we'd been exalted. We don't have to understand. We don't even have to like it. But we have to believe it's the course we would choose if we knew. Because we trust the one who leads. The other day, for our family worship, Alicia read us Psalm 107. And there was a passage in it, a section in it, that just resonated to me with this whole story. And I, I want to read it to you. Psalm 107 Beginning in verse 23, think about this as your own life. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people 
and praise him in the council of the elders. So here's what I hear this saying in the context of what we're talking about. Our confidence is in the reality of who Jesus is, not in our ability to figure out what he's doing. Okay? So our confidence is in that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. He came to earth to save us. Confidence is in Jesus. Couple that with the reality that he has unfailing love and that he has his eye on us. If we can trust him, then we can go through that sea knowing that he has the power to calm it and will calm it at the right time. And our job is to give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind and to exalt him in the assembly of the people. This is a partial assembly of the people. We don't have all the people back, but we're getting there. But that's part of our job is to come together and exalt him together and praise him in the council of the elders. We don't have to figure it out. We can't figure it out anyway. I told you this is Jesus, what are you doing, part one, and it really has an A and B. The, the A part of it is when Jesus misses golden opportunities, when he doesn't do what we think he ought to do. The B part is when Jesus allows trouble to come into our lives. Jesus, what are you doing? But next Sabbath, we're going to get to the C part, when Jesus makes trouble. But the key is that we trust him. Jesus alone has the power to deliver and save. And you are going to need to know that because sometimes, as we'll see next Sabbath, Jesus doesn't just miss opportunities, he doesn't just allow trouble, Sometimes Jesus causes the trouble. And in times like that, you'd better know him and trust him. Or you might walk away. But that's for next week. This week, resolve in your heart to trust Jesus even if you can't understand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to be faithful disciples of Jesus. We want to be faithful in this place and in this time. We want to be your people here for this season. There have been lots of seasons before, and many have gone before us in this place and been faithful in their era, and we praise you for that. But we want to be faithful in this one. Help us to understand what we can, but beyond that, to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.